where SEBI is incentivizing women to participate in investing. We can touch upon the importance of financial literacy in women. How can that be enhanced from the root level? So, yes, SEBI, there's a consultation paper where SEBI is proposing to provide additional incentives for women investors. And I think it is a fabulous idea. It's one of many needed steps uh, in this direction. As far as women's financial literacy, you know, the irony is that I always say women have been the CFOs of homes, our nannies, our daddies, uh, have managed the home in limited resources and managed to save up money on the side. So I think the ability to save, which is a core of investing, has never been a challenge for women. Translating saving into investment, I think, is the real challenge. Today, we had Radhika Gupta on the pod. Radhika is the MD and CEO of Edelweiss AMC. She's India's only female head of a major asset manager and she has set up the country's first domestic hedge fund. We covered a wide range of topics during our conversation, starting from why moving back to India was the best decision for her so far professionally, women labor workforce participation, how important it is for a woman to be financially literate, how does she manage people's money and their expectation while managing their money in equity funds, what is she obsessed about outside of work, who is she outside of work, and much more. Now I bring you Radhika Gupta. Radhika, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. Radhika, I'm very excited. Let me paint a picture here to get going. You know, India took uh, about 58 years to get to, you know, its first trillion dollar in GDP, uh, 12 years for the second, five years for the third. Now the next 12, or I would say India would be taking about 12 to 18 months to reach its next trillion dollars. For a moment, Radhika, imagine you're still living in the U.S. Uh, and if you have seen where we are today, would you consider moving back to India? If you would, why? So, look, I've done it and I, I'm going to answer the story in a different way. Um, you know, I am the daughter of someone who has marketed India for a living. If I market mutual funds for a living, and someone else sells lipstick for a living. My father was a diplomat and he represented India since 1976. Um, and he's seen India at a time when nobody really cared about us. And I remember growing up in school um, and going to an American school where people in the 90s, pre-Pokhran and the tech boom, asked me if being an Indian meant going to school on elephants and playing with snake charmers. And I'm not even kidding. People think this is this is my childhood. Um, to India of today. But I'm also the Indian who chose from a middle class family to move abroad and then come back and hoping to settle down abroad with no intent of coming back to India, quite frankly, because, you know, if you've made it that far, that's what you assume, but chose to take the plunge back into India. And, you know, I'm an investment professional and I always joke, but not joke, that the best trade or investment call of my life has already been made. Uh, unfortunately, it was not in a financial product, but it was in my career, and that was to move back to India in 2009. Um, so I think that is my stance on it. Um, and it's been 14 years since I moved back. Uh, and I, I genuinely don't think I've made a wiser decision because, you know, there are statistics that you talk about. 
And by the way, those statistics translate beautifully into every industry. So you talked about India and the size of the economy and the fact that what it took us 70 years to do and add, we'll probably add in another one and a half year. I'll give you another example. I represent the mutual fund industry, which manages the savings of ordinary Indians. Um, we manage about 40 lakh crores today. It took us 30 years of privately managed mutual funds to do that. In the next five years, we're going to add 60 lakh crores, becoming a 100 lakh crore industry. So what we did in 30 years, we're going to do one and a half times that in the next five years. So that story from the economy translates down to my industry and so many different industries. And I think my generation is so lucky to be building in an India uh, of today, um, in an India where there is growth. And I don't think we can take growth for granted, even if we grow at six and a half, seven percent. It's a big number compared to uh, you know the rest of the world where there is growth across so many sectors. So it's not that if you want to do well, you need pedigree. You don't need to have a famous last name anymore. You don't even need to have famous credentials anymore. You don't even only need to be a doctor or engineer or CA. You can kill it in any field that you choose to, and you can come from any part of the country. Uh, and that's what's exciting about building in India today. Uh, so my answer is yes, yes, and yes. As I said, it's the best decision I've made. What a time to be in India. And Radhika, you know, you founded India's first uh, domestic hedge fund. And how were you able to develop the courage? Was it easy for you? I think courage comes easier when you're younger. I, I should say that. Um, you know, in the backdrop, and it, it's always interesting to go back and revisit decisions. One of the things that was happening in the backdrop is when I was in the U.S. and we were thinking about taking the decision, and as I said, we were very young, we had just seen the economic boom in India that happened in 2003 and seven, and I, through seven. And I think for people of my generation, that was a breakout time. The whole BRICS movement had happened. India had come into the uh, spotlight. Capital markets. Capital markets as a profession had become highly regulated by then. SEBI and all the stuff that happened through 90s, dematerialization, all that happened. The IPO boom was happening. So capital markets were becoming a very exciting place. Um, and, you know, I think that that sort of subconsciously sort of motivated you to sort of come back and think or at least turn your head towards India. Now, is it a hard decision? I think it's an incredibly hard decision. I I keep telling myself that I don't know if I would have the courage at 39 to make the decision I did at 24, because the great thing about being young is it lends you a certain amount of courage and things to do things and, you know, the ability to act without thinking about the consequences too much. So it was extremely difficult. It was difficult compounded by the fact that neither I or my other two partners had worked in India. I hadn't even lived in India. And this is a unique country to build in. Financial services is also, you know, and we live in Startup Central. Financial services is also a slightly more unique business in the sense that typically it is a business of trust. What is money? Money is about people handing over their most precious asset. Uh, and, you know, managing money is fundamentally about winning trust. And trust comes with age and brand and pedigree. Uh, and that's not something that that was automatic. Uh, 
So I think the challenges are very obvious. The decision was very tough. But as I said, uh, you know, uh, that age gives you a certain sense of risk taking ability. Um, I also am a big believer in taking calculated risks. So as long as there is a framework in my head, um, and I think the worst option is a reasonable option, which was, for me was to go back to business school. I think there's a bit, you know, I, I'm okay to jump. And Radhika, fast forward to today, you know, you recently crossed uh, 1 lakh CR in AUM. How is it like, had you thought of this that you will be able to reach that milestone? And further to this question, how are you able to manage people's money and expectations because they're very, very hard at that scale? Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, did we think we would reach her? Yes and no. You know, it's interesting in a TED talk I gave or in a uh, talk I gave in 2018, which sort of made me well known, which is called The Girl with a Broken Neck. Uh, by then we were managing about 20,000 crores and I spoke of this notion of two lakh crores. So, and I didn't know that we would get there and incidentally we crossed this mark. So I think the idea has been that there has always been an ambition and I have been a big believer in setting large aspirations for myself and for people uh, I lead. Because I do believe that if you talk about two lakh crores and you will get to, uh, you know, at least one lakh crores. Uh, but if you talk 20,000 crores, you probably be stuck at 2,000 crores. So in my head, I think aspirations have always been large. In fact, today as we sit, I'm talking about a 2035 aspiration. And I actually do believe that the form I done will be 10 lakh crores. So I think those aspirations are important to set. I don't think you have all the answers, but I do believe that the journey of one to hundred is not about one to hundred. It's about one going to two, and then at two making a business plan for five, and then at five having some confidence to maybe plan for ten, and at ten planning for twenty, and so on and so forth. So I think uh, you know uh, Rashesh uses uh, this wonderful concept called bifocal vision, and it is that you look long but you also act short. So you have to meet your day-to-day budgets and targets and survive every day because every day is another you know, day. I mean, and finally, in the long term, we're all dead. But it's also about having long-term vision. So I think uh, that was, that that's the first part. Um, as far as how you manage money and expectations, uh, that's a hard question. And I think it's something that we seek to get better at every day. I realized very quickly in this business that Brand is a very meaningful thing. Brand is not an advertising slogan. Uh, It's not something you spend a lot of money on. It's something you act. It's something you demonstrate. It's something you behave. And it reflects in every sense of the business. And I do believe that one of the most important roles a CEO plays, the CEOs actually don't do anything. We don't execute anything. Uh, You know, but we are brand ambassadors for the firm. And I I wake up every day living with that responsibility. and that's what I tell my team. And I think the few things that we try to do is one set realistic expectations of products for consumers. In financial services, I think so many of the mishaps happen because you expect X and Y happens. And that X is, you know, if there's a realistic expectation, what you expect is 2X that. You know, if I'll give you a simple example. The stock market on average has probably delivered 11.5% rolling returns on average. If you ask me my expectation of stock market returns, I'll tell you 
And, you know, when I say this, especially in a bull market, people look at me and think I'm crazy. Uh, but it's just a mindset of making sure that we guide people to conservative outcomes. Because once it's always better to beat guidance, you know, rather than not even being able to meet it. So I think that's, that's one of my learnings. Um, the second thing is to say no to opportunities. So, you know, greed has always bothered me in financial services. We're probably one of the highest paid industries in the world, yet there's so many incidences of greed. Um, and I don't think you need to pursue all opportunities. So at, at Edelweiss Mutual Fund, I think we have a very simple framework for how we think about products and we are a reasonably innovative product company. Does it solve a problem for the consumer? And honestly, because you know, lots of products can exist and asset management companies can market anything, but does it really solve a problem for the consumer? Are we good at being able to solve that problem? Because there are problems to solve, but there are certain problems that we are not going to be good at being able to solve. And of course, does it make money and does it do that at size? So I think just being selective about the choices you make, having confidence in the choices you make and being focused um, is also very important. So I want to build an asset management company where we stand for something and we don't run after anything. Uh, and I think consumers trust you. And the third thing, which is probably the most important thing, is to communicate in a crisis. I genuinely believe trust is built by communicating in a crisis. Um, you know, we, we run the largest fund focused on China in the uh, country. And at some point, I kid you not, China was doing so well that this this fund was selling like bread had been invented. Uh, people would call us if there was a holiday in China and say, why isn't the fund open for subscription? Um, and then it had a downturn. But we were out there talking on TV, educating people about China. Share. And, you know, a colleague called me and said, you know, you run this fund in partnership with a global asset manager. Why don't you just outsource the responsibility? Why are you taking responsibility? Tu China ki expert hai? And I said, you know, when we market the fund and it's doing well, it's Edelweiss. When a batter comes, you outsource it to some global partner. No, communicate in a crisis, I think. And that's the event that builds maximum trust. Aim super high and seems like you have a knack for there's a saying, uh, Radhika, you know, don't compete with others. Be the only one and then lead the way. You did that with, uh, you know, starting the first uh, hedge fund in the country. And now you have first to market uh, multi-asset fund. Uh, could you double click on that? If I'm an investor, why should I be investing in uh, the fund that you recently are launching? Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, we love first to market ideas uh, because we believe consumers always have problems. Now, uh, the recent problem that most consumers uh, have been talking about is that, uh, you know, in March, there was a change in debt taxation laws uh, in India, which fully taxed uh, debt mutual funds in the hands of consumers from 10% tax. And I think for the last few months, consumers have been looking for solutions that provide that kind of return profile, but with tax efficiency. This fund does that. It's the first in the market to take the multi-asset format. But the idea is to provide fixed income like returns, but with significantly better taxation. So the effective rate of taxation, I think here ends up working out to less than 10 odd percent uh, versus, you know, the current 30 percent rate of taxation. It's a fund uh, that parks 56 percent of your money in safe fixed income. 
34% of your money in equity product or uh, 36% 54 and 36 36% of your money in uh, equity uh, that is fully hedged and 10% in gold silver that's fully hedged so the idea is again fixed income like returns but with significantly more tax efficiency so as a consumer it's a very good substitute to an fd like product over three months and radhika you know India has an interesting problem that I would love for you to dig deeper into it. Uh, only 29.4% uh, women participation in India's labor workforce. Uh, the year before, and I'm talking about 2021 to 2022, and the year before it was actually more, it was 29.8. One, why is the percentage declining? Second, why do we need more women in the workforce? And let's say, you know, uh, you are invited to PMO's PMO and you have an opportunity to form a policy. What policy would you form that will drive more women in the workforce? You know, this, this is an answer. Firstly, I mean, I know those statistics and the fact that women workforce participation has been declining. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's something that bothers me. And, you know, as, as far as why you need more women at work, there are countless reasons, but let, let me tell you a few from a corporate population. I think having a more diverse workforce, not just in terms of gender builds better products. It builds better culture. It builds better companies. Um, it's very important to realize that corporates finally produce services for consumers. And that consumer base has 50% women. And by the way, the success of recent companies like Nike tells you that women consumers are a real market. Now, if you want to be a company that caters to a diverse consumer base, then you better have a diverse decision-making base. I, I genuinely think more women on boards and in management builds better companies, and there's enough data to say that. Um, the second is that I think women genuinely bring different skill sets uh, to the table. And I think in the post-COVID world, I hate to classify things as masculine and feminine, but I did a talk on this. And I think some of the skill sets of empathy uh, and customer focus are, are naturally in a woman's uh, DNA. And I think female leadership can bring a lot to the table. Thirdly, I think for India as a society, you know, women make perhaps 70% of the consumption decisions in the country because they not only decide for themselves, but often their families and their children and their parents. When you empower one woman, one woman, you create an orbit shift in society. So if you take a girl from a small town and bring her to Bombay and she or any big city and she grows and becomes economically independent, chances are that decision will have an impact on her sisters. She will provide a home base in Bombay as a bigger city and in the extended community so it's really when you economically lift a woman there's a multiplier impact on the economy and that's i think that's why and you raise better children i think that's why we should care about the issue i think one thing i mean i i don't have a single answer to your question but i think one issue that we should focus on is the opportunity covid has provided us which is to leverage flexible work and work from home now I happen to be a very privileged woman, but I've also had a young child. Uh, and I think the fact that work from home provided so much flexibility to me and many other mothers 
is something that we should use. Um, I also think that there are today policies around maternity, around women directors, etc. I really think we should think about policies. This, you know, the policies around women can't be tokenism. I think you have to get to the root cause. Um, so, you know, guiding women through that critical phase when they drop, uh, drop out beyond just maternity is one place I would really focus on. In addition to all the benefits that COVID has given us, I mean, it would really be a tragedy to leave behind the opportunity that hybrid work provides for our women workforce. Radhika, I think you recently tweeted uh, where SEBI is incentivizing uh, women to participate in investing. You know, first, I would say we can touch upon the importance of financial literacy in women. How can that be enhanced from the, uh, I would say, root level uh, moving forward? So, yes, there's a consultation paper where SEBI is proposing to provide additional incentives for women investors. And I think it is a fabulous idea. It's one of many needed steps uh, in this direction. As far as women's financial literacy, you know, the irony is that I always say women have been the CFOs of homes, our nannies, our daddies, uh, have managed the home in limited resources and managed to save up money on the side. Uh, so I think the ability to save, which is a the core of investing has never been a challenge for women. Translating saving into investment, I think, is the real challenge. Now, I can't tell you the importance of a woman being both financially literate and independent. And independence will come from literacy. You know, the world is an extremely uncertain place, uh, especially post-COVID. Um, and, you know, I, I, I tell women that if there's one thing you should not outsource in life, it is managing your money because money is truly hard on. Secondly, I think in today's era, there are so many opportunities to work towards basic financial literacy uh, that you can get financial literacy. There are so many dedicated platforms that focus on the women consumer uh, that I think options are a plenty. Um, it is a long journey. I think India has a long financial literacy journey, not just for women, but even for uh, men. But it is an important journey. Radhika, my co-pilot, he's getting restless and he wants to get in. He's asking me to ask you, what is your typical day like? Starting from what time do you wake up and what time uh, do you go to bed? Okay. So your co-pilot super cute. Hi, co-pilot. What's his name? His name is Alfonso. He says hi. Hi, Alfonso. You're very cute. Um, okay. So what do I do? Um I'm not an early riser, despite all those influencers telling you you should wake up early. I'm not very good at that. Uh, I, I typically wake up around seven odd. Um, I have a 11 and a half month old. So I leave for work at 8.30 and of course there's all the morning routine. But my favorite thing to do is like I'm literally waiting till he wakes up because he wakes up with a huge smile and he's just learned to stand and then he stands in his bed and we come and, you know, he's smiling. and then. Um, I go to work, um, you know, um, work days are really random. So the great thing about a mutual fund CEO's role is that it's so diverse. You know, you have sales, you have investing decisions, you have compliance decisions, you may be spending time doing marketing, uh, you may be spending time on 
admin you may be spending time with your board with regulators so it's 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 really very random i think there's a really it's like a bhelpuri of different kinds of meetings um i do travel uh, quite a bit uh, prior to my son i used to travel 3 4 days a week but i still travel a couple of days a week we have uh, many branches all over india uh, and i travel to meet consumers investors distribution partners etc uh, so i do that um i end up coming home around 6 and uh, then i spend two more hours with my son uh and then there's dinner and uh i probably read some poetry uh talk to my parents that's that's one thing i do every single day that's very important to me mm-hmm. um i spend at least half an hour to an hour talking to my parents and then i do some work at night so i make up for that 6 to 8 period with some late night work and you said talk you do talk to your parents every day and that's very important is it a thing that you picked up recently uh if so why No, it's always been there. My God, I have been part of it. My family is very close knit. See, because we lived overseas, and you know, we didn't like. I have no school friends. I mean, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I have no school friends because we moved countries and continents every three years, and there was really no way to keep in touch. I mean, social media wasn't big then. So my family, my mother, father, brother, were my existence. They were my family. They were my friends. They were my cousins. They were my extended family. So we've always been close. So even when I was a student and I went to college, it wasn't every day because I couldn't afford the calls. But I would buy one of those international calling cards and talk to my mother every. Mm-hmm. I mean, for two three hours a week. So you know, um, I, every day. And then of course, when I could afford it, it became more frequent. And now in India, uh, it's an hour every day. I think it's so important, yeah. Uh, you know. Parents are not getting any younger. I'm a parent myself, and the biggest gift I can give them is nothing material or physical. It's just the time. So they really enjoy hearing about my day. I really enjoy hearing about those. We spend a lot of time talking about my son these days. Uh, so he he's monopolized a lot of time. Um, but it's a habit I've had for a very long time. And what I've done is over the years I used to have. A, I've had a lot of conversations with my mother since I was very young. But even with my father, with my brother. Uh, I've just increased that time. It's very important to me. Love it. And Radhika, what's something that you're obsessed about outside of work? Obsessed hmm. one. I mean, right, really, right now it's my son. Really, right now it is pretty much my son. Uh, you know, I'm told that six months to two years is the best phase in a kid's life and for parents. So I'm taking that advice very seriously. So. I really like to spend a lot of time. Again, the best thing I can give him is the gift of my time. And Radhika, if money and attention are not needed anymore, and for the time being you're not doing what you're doing, what would you work on? Impact, yeah. I mean, for me, success is about impact. For uh, you know, money is important to a limited point. Uh, attention i don't know if it's that important but i think impact is important so i would work on things that have impact for me success is always meant impact yeah and do you have few things that you want to work on or maybe later on you're going to think about oh, it or i have so many ideas for things i want to work on one life and how many things you can do uh you know i i'm really excited about building the mutual fund business but i'm excited about so many other financial services businesses um you know i'm excited about contributing to financial services and capital markets regulation and policies so i want to do that i'm super excited about tourism so i keep saying that one day i want to run tourism for this country because i think you know i'm someone who's lived in india a lot 
who's lived overseas a lot and seen tourism close up and i know the impact tourism can have on the economy so if you gave me a chance to run one portfolio in the country most people would say radhika will say finance minister and i would say tourism minister love it love it and uh, and what like you've traveled a lot uh, radhika you know bunch of countries you've lived in them if you are let's say you you when you've gotten the opportunity to be a tourism minister in india is there any country that you would seek inspiration from when implementing policies in india italy italy um italy to uh, a large extent for how much they've taken their old civilization and culture and managed to monetize it and maintain it and be genuinely proud of it uh and to some extent also singapore i was recently there in how they've taken not very much that they've had so it is a country that's naturally endowed with a lot of history and resources but in the case of singapore building out from scratch and building out with a lot of progress and vision and rules so i think these two italy first and then maybe a little bit of singapore singapore if you could invite three people to dinner dead or alive could be from any industry uh who would they be and why i haven't thought about this so this is going to be random so one is nandan nilikani um i uh you know one of the few people who i would say is a career role model um and i love his contribution to the private sector and i love his contribution to the public sector okay i i have two more second day is our current foreign foreign minister dr s jay shankar i'm a fan i mean partly i'm a diplomatic kid but i love the way he speaks i mean i mean i'm a total i i think his his ability to handle difficult situations his confidence and his swag is just it's incredible uh, so uh, and he's wonderful to listen to uh, and third is my favorite shahrukh khan yeah and and what about shahrukh khan oh i love shahrukh khan i I I love the man I love his movies I love his sense of confidence I love his ambition uh I love the fact that he says I can make it possible so uh I I think all of that and look it would be a really nice dinner you have someone from industry you have someone from government and you have someone from movies what what an amazing dinner so diverse uh would uh, so he's asking me would you be invited as well maybe he can be a chef or something alfonso yeah. He, Alfonso could be a chef. He could bring some Alfonso mangoes. I love mangoes. <laughs> love it, Radhika. Thank you so much. I had so much fun uh, chatting with you. Thanks a lot for doing it. My pleasure. So I'm pausing it, uh, Radhika.